Hi guys, it's your boy Johnny. Oh, it's so nice to be on Canary Cry Radio. Oh, listen to the birds. Oh, that's so nice. I could cry tears of joy just like Miss America. Oh, if only I was dressed just like her. What's up? Hey guys! What's up, man? <laughs> oh, it's such an honor to be on Canary Cry Radio. Wow, I think that's got to be one of the best intros, I think, that we've had <laughs> so gonna far. It's going to be legendary. <laughs> All right! Ooh. Oh, yeah, buddy! Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. We've got a very special guest today. My name's Basil. And I'm Gons, and I'm not allowed to jump into it, so I'm going to introduce <laughs> the man formerly known as Johnny the Longshoreman. And now he's the host of the Iron Show. It's Johnny Iron. Oh, yeah, buddy. What's up? What's up? What's up? Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, it's such an honor to be here. You know, you guys, man, I've been listening to some Canary Cry Radio here since the beginning, you know. I remember the first time I ever heard it, um, I was, like, uh, searching, you know, for some podcasts, you know, because I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know. There's a lot of guys that say, you know, dude, man, I, I never have time to listen to my show. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you sound just as lousy. As you did the first episode I ever heard. (laughs) But I listen to my own show and I listen to everybody else's show, you know, too. But I was like, man, I was hurting for like something, a new podcast that was really cool. And I see this CCR and I'm like, what is this? Credence Clearwater Revival or something? (laughs) It's like, well, I'll check it out, man. When busting with the proto evangelion, you know, you know, I was like, oh, whoa, you got like the firefighter dot org uh, Bible uh, King James dude busting in, you know, you know, because the house done this, cursed be thy. I was like, oh man, this is cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we could that you were attracted to our uh, to our intros there. I mean, you yourself, you have your own podcast, and you've also got an equally as uh, uh, exciting intro. I would say every every single time. I would say it's epic. It's epic. It just you know gets you pumped, and I'm just so happy that we got to have a taste of that today on Canary Cry Radio. So, if you guys like that and want more, make sure to check out The Iron Show with Johnny Iron. Oh, yeah. Ironshow.com. Available on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> Could you like, like my buddy, Pastor Lynn, Lynn Marzulli, he's like, uh, says it three times. Ironshow.com. Ironshow.com. That's Ironshow.com. <laughs> three times the charm. Third time's a charm that sinks in, you know. Guys, uh, I'm I'm a host. I'm not a guest. But uh, we could uh, go off on all kinds of weird tangents, though, because, you know, Johnny has all kinds of, like, weird thoughts buzzing around, cranking well, wheels in his head and stuff. But. I think that was going to be, like, the cool thing about this show is, like, we have nothing planned at all. And uh, 
Well, you want to tell us a little bit about like your journey and I'm hearing like a lot of myself feeding back for some or something like I hear an echo of me, but, uh, anyway, um, yeah, just tell us about your journey. Like, how did you, you know, how did you come to know God? How did you get to the point where you're like into all this stuff and, and like, you know, you don't have to go super long, just, uh, just a little, little thing about Johnny, little, little life story of Johnny. Oh, cool. The history of Johnny. <laughs> I love to talk about myself. No, um, <laughs> I was, uh, I was, uh, a singer, um, in a band called Avant Garde. We were famous on the West coast. I used to sign people's autographs all the time. I'd be walking through the streets, you know, in Portland and stuff. And I'm, I'm up here in, uh, Salem, Oregon, which is a little, little bit South of Portland, Oregon right now. We're on the West coast, buddy. The West is the best. Yeah, that actually doesn't happen a lot. We don't have a lot of guests from the West Coast, so it's nice to be able to interview you or have you on the show at a reasonable hour. Yeah, yeah, it's not like 3.30 in the morning in uh, London, and you're like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I was a a singer in a band called Avant Garde, and uh, my... uh, I came to Jesus uh, because uh, God pretty much, um, I was a hardcore atheist, hardcore partier, you know, and and uh, God really pretty much um, just pretty much tore my life up so that I could come to him really is the way I see it now. Of course, you never see it when you're there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, uh, I just, uh, through the series of all that, I ended up, uh, somehow in a, in a group where these dudes were, um, studying Aleister Crowley and starting to get some seances going. And I like, I, I think I picked up a demon in there because, um, I wasn't into Aleister Crowley, but I hung out with these, gr- this, you know, group of dudes, these witches, and they were like, did a bunch of seances and stuff. And, and it's like, I, I must've picked up a demon or something there because there was like this thing whispering in my ear, you know, I mean, not like, you know, people hear voices in their head, you know, right. this was like an audible whisper, like with the wind blowing on my earlobe. It's mm-hmm. like, Johnny, Johnny. Johnny. I was like freaking out scared. This dude. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Dude, it was bad, man. And it's like, there was this dude, he was a snake bite Pentecostal holy roller dude. And, uh, and name name was Louie. And I, I couldn't stand the guy, but, uh, I knew that, 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 you know, his particular brand of Christian, I knew that he believed in demons, you know, those guys, I knew that those guys weren't believed in the supernatural. They weren't like, you know, walking into like a Lutheran church where everybody's falling asleep and stuff. <laughs> so I went up to Louie. I said, look, I got like demons whispering in my ear, blowing and blowing on my earlobe and stuff. And he's like, oh, we need to get you into the church, my friend. Now, <laughs> This was uh, this was on an April morning in 1985 in a snake bite holy roller Pentecostal church. Dudes foaming at the mouth, you know, speaking in tongues, rolling around on the floor, twitching and spasms and stuff. Uh, they led me through the sinner's prayer on that altar of this uh, snake bite Pentecostal church in 1985. Wow! Yeah, man, that's wow. That is intense, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm going to tell you what, you know, um, it was, you know, people, there's a lot of people who live really wild lives. And what they'll do is they'll go through a sinner's prayer and a salvation experience. And they will, you know, they will like instantly be transformed into this like angel, you know, and I know, dude, I know that happens. I know it happens all the time. But there's guys like Johnny where it take you 25 years of God constantly taking you out to the woodshed, you know, and, right. and, and also showing you mercy and stuff. But I'm going to tell you what, man, when I got up from that sinner's prayer on that April morning in 1985, man, my eyes were instantly opened. I mean, I saw the world for what it was. I mean, I understood like all of a sudden instantly I understood, you know, what sin was and what forgiveness was and why I needed Jesus. And just, you know, you could never sit there and explain any of that because it's a supernatural, you know, spiritual thing that makes no sense to the unbeliever, but to the believer, you know, there's that instant transformation in your spirit. You know, and you, yeah, yeah, totally. I can totally relate to, I mean, not the whole Pentecostal thing, but just as far as understanding that supernatural element of like having the eyes to see just like the world just to- totally changes. It's just really, yeah, it's a really bizarre thing. And it, I remember thinking like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm after I had my experience of being saved, it was like, you know, my mind would go back and forth of like, wait a minute you know, I would recognize like, oh wait, that's, that's like how I used to think, you know? And like, it was just really weird for, you know, a few years of like jumping back and forth and having moments of like, wait a minute, this is new or, you know, this is not what I should be thinking or whatever. It's just more aware of like what you're thinking of or what your, um, just your surroundings and the world in general, you know? So I can totally relate. Okay. So Johnny, Lead singer of avant-garde got into Aleister Crowley, uh, got some some whispers from a demon, uh, had a experience on the floor of a church, church. and now then what? How do you okay. get from there to uh, starting the Iron Show? Yeah, fast forward twenty five. No, slate here. Fast forward like twenty. See, Iron Show's just been in your ear for uh, three years now plus. So fast forward about 20, oh, I don't know, 25 years, I guess. We'll just say that and figure it out later. Uh, I am um, I am coming down off a massive dose of amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds like we missed a lot in that 20 years. (laughs) Well, you know, there's guys, you know, like I say, that they have this instant transformation, you know, and uh, it just um, it's just instant. And and they just turn into an angel. And there are some people that, you know, that it takes years before they become a halfway decent Christian, somebody that you could spot on the street and say, you know, he seems like a Christian to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So that ha- I, man, I went through some partying times, you know, on and off, you know, all through those 25 years. And so, um, and I was in and out of a lot of other bands and stuff. And, uh, also then of course I, you know, uh, was married in 87, raised a family. And, uh, so anyway, the families, um, the, the 
the kids moved off, you know, and, you know, the wife is, is camped out, you know, somewhere else. And Johnny's come down off this massive dose of amphetamines. <laughs> and there is two, there is two things, you know, I don't know if you guys, you guys ever come off massive doses of amphetamine. Uh, that's been an experience I've uh, been able to avoid in my lifetime. I don't know about guns. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's been experiences, but not particularly with. Uh, yeah, we've managed to dodge that particular bullet. <laughs> Good for you guys, man. I tell you, man. Because, you know, there are times when, like, you can say, well, like, you know what you're talking about, you know, uh, because you haven't experienced it. Well, I'm here to tell you that experiencing like all that kind of stuff, I don't think it, it gives you any net benefit. I really don't. I mean, but anyway. Um, don't do drugs, kids. Right. It's not going to help you understand anything, really. I mean, anyway, yeah, me and Dr. Future had a long conversation about that one night. But anyway, um, so anyway, fast forward to me coming down off this massive dose of amphetamine. What What happens as you're as you're coming down off that stuff is, is this terrible emptiness starts kicking in and uh, there's nothing, there's nothing that sounds good. I mean, nothing, there is nothing, you know, you could be rich and have all these waiters offering you different things and you'd be like, nah, nah, no thanks. Uh, yeah. Yuck. Anyway, um, I'm searching through my iPod, trying to find something, anything to listen to. And man, I got like everything in my iPod. Nothing sounds good. There's like two things that I could listen to. And this is really weird. One of them was, uh, one of them was a, a song that was written and recorded by a friend of mine, uh, that was, uh, written about another friend of mine whose hobby was robbing, uh, gas stations. He d actually did it for a hobby for fun. It wasn't like for money cause he really, loved <laughs> of course, of course he did. Cause that's that I've, I've heard that's really fun. By the way, I've had a couple of friends try to get me into their, uh, you know, gas station robbing social clubs and it's, uh, you know, so, I mean, what could he, is, is that a good idea or a bad yeah, idea? Like, idea? You gotta get into this Basil, man. It's a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guns, man. Come on, grab that gun. Let's go. <laughs> no, uh, he really, that was his hobby because he just loved it. He, he got away with it for like three, four years because he would always give the gas station attendant half the money when he's done, you know? And so the gas station attendant would like, you know, lie to the cops, you know, and he'd, you know, promise to come back and do it again someday. And so he got away with it until he ran into the uh, attendant who happened to be the owner of the gas station. Oh boy. Got, yeah, that was the bus. But anyway, he, Eddie had written a song about Mike who, um, you know, and the name of the, and who actually he, what, what happened was when he got busted, he once, he was sent to uh, McNeil Island prison, which is like Alcatraz, except it's up in the Puget Sound off the coast of Washington. It's an <laughs> Island prison. And he, uh, he, him and his, him and two buddies had uh, it'd taken them a year. They had uh, constructed this raft one piece at a time. And, uh, they had, uh, actually they'd gotten that thing together. Whoa, and whoa, 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 whoa. Are we talking about Al Alcatraz the movie here? Or is this a real thing? No, this is, this is okay. The, in, in my iPod, there's this song written by Eddie Nixon. Okay. Which was written by, another friend of ours who is his cousin 
And this, what I'm talking about, his cousin loved to rob gas stations. Got and they, they actually built a raft. Yeah, he got sent to McNeil Island Prison and, and took him a year, but they one piece at a time. Yeah, like a movie or something. I know, it sounds like a movie script, huh? <laughs> no, it's true. And they had built this raft, so on a stormy night, they said they, they both escaped, got down to the, you know, the rocks and launched off on this raft. They got out there a couple miles, and the seas just got too too much, you know, for, for the two guys. Mike, he was like nothing but guts, but they, they jumped for it and swam back to McNeil Island, but he kept going. Anyway, his body washed up on the shore about uh, a month later and the, you know, the fish had eaten his eyeballs out and everything. But um, the song was called Total Conviction. And it was, it was about, the guy's name was Mike Bennett, who the song was about. Oh Eddie, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, Eddie wrote this. It's a killer song. And so Eddie writes this song about his cousin Mike, you know, who I grew up with too. His name is, and the name of the song is Total Conviction. Anyway, his cousin's name is Mike Bennett. And the only other thing I could listen to was this weird podcast I had downloaded earlier, you know, that week uh, called Future Quake. And the host's name was Mike Bennett. Which is like, what is that? Synchronicity? Yeah. Some weird thing? Yeah. So, so it was Future Quake 64. And, uh, and I'd listened to Total Conviction about 500 times. And so I turned it over to Future Quake 64. I sat in a corner for three days listening to Future Quake 64 with uh, Dr. Future and Peter Goodgame. Wow. The of the identity of the Antichrist. And, uh, it was at that moment, I was like, when I came out of that, see that, the, it goes on and on. I mean, I, it would take up the whole podcast to like tell you everything about that. But what had happened was, is that that had really uh, got hold of me and led me back towards Jesus again to, to a decent, halfway decent relationship with him, you know, away from the party and, and I thought, you know what? I thought, you know, if I could reach out to one person, you know, if I could have my own podcast and reach out to one person that that the way that Dr. Future and Peter Goodgame had reached out to me that night, uh, then everything would be worth it. All the efforts would be worth it if I could just reach one person. So the Iron Show was born a few months later out of that um, out of that conviction. You know, out of that, uh, of trying to duplicate what they had done for me, I wanted to duplicate that to reach somebody else. So the Iron Show, really, it's actually designed for somebody coming down off a massive dose of amphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see that. And I can see that in every creative choice that you've made on the show, Johnny. And let me just tell you that. All right. <laughs> You know, I was I was listening to Iron Show Forty One, your last episode, and uh, you had Matthew Miller, and some of the stuff he was talking about was like blowing my mind. I mean, I, I had heard a little bit about some of that stuff, but it was the first time to actually confirm some of the ideas that I've. For example, I'm just going to jump into it and see what what you uh, understand about this, Johnny, and maybe you can explain it better than I can, but. Um, Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, the three strand DNA thing. I have, um, you know, 
a few years ago, not a few, probably two or two and a half years ago when I was like trying to figure out what the heck was going on with the whole new age movement and, you know, just being really confused about like, wait a minute, I, I'm a Christian, but all these guys that are actually talking about conspiracies and UFOs and all this stuff, they're, they're all new agers and they're all talking about some crazy stuff about, you know, DNA upgrade and all this stuff. Well, you know, I often heard about the three strand DNA, like the third strand coming or whatever. And, uh, and when I started working, um, at the church, I'd started doing a lot of, uh, weddings, uh, as you know, as a tech guy for weddings. And one of the ceremonies that I hadn't, I hadn't known about before was the God's not thing where they get, you know, uh, the man gets a strand, a woman gets a strand, and then the third strand represents God, you know? And so they do that ritual. And I remember thinking like, whoa, that, you know, it reminded me of the three strand DNA, but I didn't really think there was anything to it. Uh, but then here's uh, Matthew Miller describing that stuff. And it was, I don't know, it was just kind of blowing my mind, but can you kind of explain that? Or is it like, is that left for uh, Matthew Miller to do? Yeah, that stuff, man. That's like Matthew Miller's territory. All I could do is just sort of, uh, just sort of, uh, maybe roughly simplify some of the stuff he's talking about. You know, he's saying that, um, he's saying that, uh, the DNA on the, like, if you looked at it, like face on, you would have like a left side, which wouldn't really be its left side. But if you're looking at it face on for argument's sake, you would have a left side and a right side. And then you'd have these rungs in between these connecting chains of, and so he was just saying that, um, he was just saying that when you become, uh, okay, now here's another thing that I'm going to get into. Maybe if I get a chance, uh, quote unquote born again. Now that's a, that's a little thing I have that's very unpopular with me. But anyway, for arguments like, let's say when you become born again, that God comes in and he strengthens the bond between the left and the right side and reinforces the, um, the connects the rungs of the ladder. Uh, and so that, uh, when you are faced with, uh, something like alcoholism or drug abuse or some kind of sexual, uh, sin that he now has, um, God has reinforced the center chains, the rungs of that, of that ladder of that DNA ladder rope, rope ladder, so that you can, uh, you have the actual power down to your DNA level to resist the temptations of the devil and the flesh and the world. Um, really, if you look at what John said, we wrestle against three things, not just the devil. We wrestle against the world, we wrestle against the flesh, and we wrestle against the devil. We've got three things sometimes. Uh, I remember my snake bite Pentecostal Louie back in the eighties telling me that, you know, I'm thinking the devil's after doing, you know, playing a trick on me for this. The devil's trying to get me to do that. And he told me, you know, you don't need the devil. Your flesh is plenty wicked, you know, all by itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Especially Johnny, you know, (laughs) so, (laughs) but uh, anyway, that's Matthew Miller's, you know, thing in a nutshell and he goes really deep into it matthew miller we just did a session one-on-one which uh, has not been released yet it's going to be a two-part iron show and uh i got one-on-one with him the iron show 41 was just a that was just 
kind of a taste. I just captured some session, you know, with him in a tiny chat session. And, and, uh, but this is a one-on-one, this new thing we're doing is a one-on-one. So he's going to go in there and explain that stuff, you know, in a lot more detail. And, and then we actually, we go through Isaiah, we go through Isaiah, uh, you know, 24, which is kind of like, uh, Matthew chapter 24. If you've ever read Isaiah 24, it's a kind of details, the end of the world, you know, all the mountains moving from their place, you know, all that stuff that basically, um, you know, the earth is clean, dissolved, swept away like a cottage, you know, total, total day of the Lord stuff. Right. We that apart verse by verse. And he guides us through that. And it's pretty much mind blowing. Matthew Miller. I don't know, man, that guy's like a genius or something. (laughs) Yeah, no, that sounds great. I'll have to catch that one. We were on a show together. Uh, We did a show called Brass and Iron. We had done a show, a couple shows, and we were also on a show called Third Watch uh, with Dory Lynn Etheridge, myself, Brian Ingram, Matthew Miller. That ran for about, oh, half a year. And uh, then I was on End Time Tribune with him a few times. But uh, in the what had happened was is that he had a guy with him that was really going legalistic, and um, I and the group started looking like they were going too legalistic. And what I had done was I I had all these people coming to me saying, you know, Johnny, you don't preach this stuff on the Iron Show. What's going on? Have you converted? Am I going to hell? Because I just messed up like yesterday. So what am I going to have to do? Am I going to hell? And all these people kept asking me that. And I had to break away from the group. So that's one thing Matthew Miller and me are actually are uh, in contention about. He is doesn't he, I'm I'm the once saved always saved crowd definitely firmly planted in that right and uh he's not and actually in the middle of that art show we go we get into a little mini battle on that and agree to disagree but uh that's, <laughs> that was the end of all my you know you know extra extra iron show uh shows I went back to the iron show at that point that was right. a year ago And, um, so one thing you have to like, when you align yourself with somebody very deeply, you have to check their doctrine, make sure, you know, and people can have a lot of weird doctrine. That's fine. But you get down to the salvation issues, then you got to kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, that's my opinion. You got to watch out. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, which none of you will be, um, (laughs) Johnny Iron was actually, was actually one, one one of the first guys who um, kind of encouraged us to uh, keep going and gave us some pointers and things like that. So, you know, we owe a lot to uh, Johnny Iron and and how we got started off and and kept uh, you know motivated with the whole thing. Um, so, so you've been hosting a lot of shows or you've kind of been in the biz for a while. And, um, I mean, what, what else do you guys say? You got some interesting stories or anything? I mean, I know even in the sh- short time that we've had our show, um, I mean, you get all sorts of people, uh, emailing you and people who are, you know, you get your, your edification and your motivation. And then there are some people who just, uh, 
aren't as stoked. Yeah, you know, my co-host, Rick, the original co-host of The Iron Show, um, we had, uh, you know, we were both, uh, were trading uh, Rush, you know, videos back and forth and stuff. And went before we had started The Iron Show and, and you know, and trading back and forth jokes and stuff. And we was like, we hit it off just like a house of fire, you know, and. So we thought, wow, you know, we thought, well, we should do the show together, you know. And so here we go. We get into show one and realize that uh, we are (laughs) we are completely different. Uh, We, you know, uh, I'm a futurist. I believe that the end times are, if not here now, are soon to happen uh, or will happen in the future, you know. Uh, Rick is a preterist. Preterists, for those you don't know, believe that Revelation, the book of Revelation, was fulfilled around AD 70, you know, when Titus uh, entered the temple and took over. Huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have not spent my time uh, reading up on that. Really? You don't know about preterism? Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, I know there's a guy that I know that it, the church that Basil and I work at that is. Uh, he he claims that if if he has an opportunity to sit down with you through the book of Revelation, that we will be convinced that preterism is true. So, I mean, that's his claim. Oh, yeah. They, they're serious about it. You know, there are, I guess, uh, Basil, I guess you don't know, there's a lot of preterists out there. And they, <laughs> I'll tell you what, most of them are not nice people. <laughs> I don't remember ever meeting a nice preterist. I don't know. Maybe that's because they have nothing to look forward to. Or <laughs> Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what sort of existence that would mean for you as a Christian. Well, number one, you have, uh, in my mind, and a lot of the futurist minds, you know, I guess, I mean, you have a lot of issues where you want to ask them like, well, so are we in like the millennial reign then? Because, right. and where was Jesus? Did we miss him? Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to really be bummed out if we miss the second coming. I mean, <laughs> and so when you nail him down on that, a lot of preterists will say, well, I'm a partial preterist. You know, I believe that Revelations was all fulfilled, except for a little couple bits at the end. And you're like, oh, okay. Most of them, most preterists are, are what you would call a partial preterist. So, I mean, they're not that strange to a futurist, but, um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, well, another question would be, you know, well, also, well, like I said before, are we in the millennial reign? Well, uh, they might, you know, they might just kind of shrug their shoulders. And then you think about, wait a minute, the millennial reign was that is a thousand years of Christ reigning. And wait a minute, it's been 2,000 years since you say these prophecies were filled, fulfilled around AD 70. Well, at least almost 2,000 years. We got about, what, 60 years to go before it's a full 2,000. So you would say, well, the millennial reign must have passed 1,000 years ago, and we would be in this other period. And they do, they have uh, explanations about that. They will tell you that, well, the millennial reign was the first 1,000 years. Uh, Jesus ushered the kingdom in at the cross, and the church was set up in that first 1,000 years. And then, of course, it says in the book of Revelation that uh, 
that uh, after the millennial reign of a thousand years of Christ reigning, that uh, Satan will be unleashed and will be a battle for another thousand years. And they'll tell you, yes, well, the millennial reign happened at the cross. It started when it lasted a thousand years. The church was set up. And then we ran into all this corruption that you'll see as the, as the, um, as the uh, Reformation had started to, you know, just gain its beginnings around a thousand AD. It didn't happen really in full force until, you know, Luther nailed the, nailed the uh, uh, 95 whatever contingents to the door at Wittenberg, the church at Wittenberg in 1520, I believe it was. But uh, there was, there had, there had been reformation movements started around a thousand AD. And so then you have the breakdown of the church with the reformation. And then, um, then we see Satan in full force now, you know, in the battle and, and this will all end with, if, with the second coming, which you get, there's all kinds of problems with that too. If you ask me as a future, so I'm like, no, nah. right. Yeah, no, I'm not following that at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they'll tell you. Though, and it's weird. I mean, so now we're all actually preterists when it comes down to it, because most of us futurists do believe that many of the prophecies, especially in Matthew 24 and in Revelation, were fulfilled in 70 AD, but we also believe in dual fulfillment, you know, and cyclical. Yes, exactly. Fulfillment. A lot of these things did happen around 70 AD. Um, Not all of them, but obviously, I mean, if you ask me, there's no way. There's just no way. I mean, futurism is the only way to make sense of anything. I just, I totally reject preterism, but Right. So you had this co-host, co-host. Yeah. and you was a preterist. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. And so uh, then I'll come to find out that not only is he a preterist, but he's a big fan of Augustine. And Augustine came along around the year 300. Geez, these guys are probably going to nail me if I don't have the date exactly right. But he, uh, he took the Bible, basically, he's, one, he's like the biggest, practically, the biggest influence on the church, you know, of all the church fathers. Augustine came along and took a lot of the supernatural elements out of um, biblical interpretation and uh, really uh, 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 saw a lot of it as allegory. He was the first to reject Genesis 6, the right. way see it with mm-hmm. the, uh yeah the uh the angels coming down and seeing the daughters of men were beautiful and having you know marrying them and having giant babies <laughs> <laughs> now we we believe that me and you and basil right right or or me basil and you depending on which one of you i'm talking to anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, anyway uh so, but so he's like into Augustine, where everything's allegory in Genesis six, which is nothing but the the sons of Seth, you know, and all that, right? And so, right. all of a sudden, me and Rick, we find out that we're majorly opposed on stuff. But then we start reaching out to the wicked sinner, and we find out that we are like, um, we're like a deadly combination reaching out to the to the wicked and we both believe in once saved always saved we both have a 
good grasp on the concept of grace and the mercy of Jesus and the mm-hmm. divinity, you know, all the core doctrine that really makes you want to bond with another Christian. So we thought, well, let's just keep doing this anyway. You know, maybe we disagree with all this other stuff. And it really, I mean, it really, it's easier said than done because we got into these battles. When we had these, you know, Rick was sitting there snickering and laughing at uh, L.A. Marzulli. Oh, gosh. Background, you can hear him going, what a load of. Like, oh, no. And uh, he gets all snidely with... uh, Pastor Lynn, and uh, I, that's what I call him, L.A. Marzulli. Yeah. And that was a nightmare. And then Rick is like, we're like, he's like, I quit. And then we get back together, do another show. And he's I quit. <laughs> <laughs> then he's like, why don't we get a guest, guest on that I want to talk to? I'm like, okay, cool. Well, go get one. Right. So he gets his friend who like is uh, into prophecy even. I don't know. I mean, it's like a few, he's like a futurist. Right. And, but Rick really likes him. So I guess, you know, like Rick is like one of those guys, like if you're Ted Bundy, but you know, if Rick likes you, you're all right. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so so he gets this guest on. Right. And we're getting into it. And pretty soon Rick starts getting really mad. And finally, he hangs by the middle of the show. He says, This is a bunch of great. He hangs up on his own guest. No. Me and his guest are hanging out there, and his guest, oh, hey, what happened God. to Rick? I go, Dude, he hang up on us. <laughs> oh, no. He just hung up on us, man. He's like, Really? What did I offend him? I was like, Yeah, totally, man. You're totally offensive to Rick. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, even despite that, Rick, you know, he, uh, he, uh, he still keeps coming back. You know, we still do sessions. There's some sessions that he's just, he is so much opposed to that. I just do them without him. But then we come back, you know, every once in a while, we'll come back and me, me and Rick will get down into some deep core theology, you know, on the iron show and, you know, talk about the stuff that, Really, I mean, core doctrine, it's really all that really matters when you're talking about either going to hell or going to heaven. Right, right. yeah, exactly. Well, I wanted to ask you, because you brought up earlier about your little theory about the phrase born again. What what did you mean by that? I'm curious now that, now that you kind of mentioned that. Oh, yeah, I have this really offensive phrase. Uh, offensive. <laughs> I have this really <laughs> offensive doctrine on born again. And, uh, yeah, I've been shot down by like everybody, I even, I even called up fizzy boy, uh, Tom Bionic. I call him fizzy boy. Uh, <laughs> like fizzy boy, man, I got to run some bad. He's like, what's up, man? I go, Oh, I'll get this, this, this really offensive doctrine I invented in my head. And I wanted to run it past you. Cause like, I really think it's true. And he's like, hold on, go ahead, man. Run it past me. Pretty soon. He's yelling blasphemy. Satan. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, he's like, no, dude, no, I don't think so, man. It's like, no, he's shot me down. And so, but uh, I get on um, this new Iron Show and I thought, you know what? I want to be shot down seriously. I want to be <laughs> shot. <laughs> I want to be shot down by somebody who's really qualified to just bury me, you know, so that I can't get out of it. And uh, Matthew Miller, I ran it past Matthew Miller, and he agreed with me. He he was 
he actually had my back. And I, I was like, I, I was speechless. We had to, sh- you know, I just said, dude, let me, let's come back in like five minutes. Cause I can't speak and stuff. <laughs> anyway, this is my idea. When Nicodemus came to Jesus and he's like, you know, we know that you're a teacher from God because nobody could do all these things unless he's from God. And, Jesus, you know, Jesus says, you know, you know, uh, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you must be born again, you know. And uh, I really think that what I now, first of all, I have to say that this is nothing uh, against regeneration because regeneration, when you go through the sinner's prayer and your eyes are open and your soul is saved, I mean, da, that you've been regenerated. You're a new creature and all this stuff. But when Jesus said born again, I really do think he was talking about the resurrection body. I really do believe that. I yeah. think that, yes. Yeah, yes. I don't think that's uh, that crazy. I mean, no. Yeah, that doesn't sound, that's not the craziest thing I've heard for sure. Because just before he said that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, he said, he says, marvel not, you must be born again. I take that, I'm a literalist. Mm -hmm. Wow, I actually said that without stumbling. (laughs) (laughs) I have a terrible time saying literalist, but that's what I am. I mean, I take a lot of the Bible literally. And, uh, you know, um, I think he was being real literal when he said that you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think he is literally meant literally born again. You're born like into this flesh. You have your resurrection body. You're born into a completely different body that can see the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, th- I think he was. Oh, go ahead. No, I just thought I was just going to repeat myself like I want to do. <laughs> well, I was, I, I was just going to say that it makes sense because I sort of think that the word born again, the phrase anyway, has been used as synonymously with kind of like a regeneration type thing anyway. And then when you think about, you know, I've talked to some people that say that, oh, you know, we're born again. We're new. Cre- we are new creations, kind of like how I think Paul says. <laughs> Uh, but then, you know, that's, that's sort of just like a down payment. It's sort of like, you know, you're sealed. And then the actual physical act of becoming, uh, be given our immortal bodies and stuff like that, that's a future event. So uh, it sounds to me like, like it's just sort of a semantics issue more than an actual doctrine issue, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, was, I was thinking along those lines and uh, I was listening to Doug Hamp which has a show on uh, FringeRadioNetwork.com. Uh, 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 I can't say the name of his show. It's like script, Through the Scriptures or something. Yeah. You can't either. I can't either. He's, he's going to hate me now. Oh, you don't even win a lousy copy of our home game. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I tried to call into the show the other day, and I got hung up on, so, I mean, I don't know if that's... Oh man, that's just like well, <laughs> that is a raw deal, man. Because like your bro, according to scripture, according to the scriptures, yeah, there you go. according there you go. or yeah, with Doug Hamp, it's on FringeRadioNetwork.com. If anybody wants to check it out, I I listen to that show religiously. And what he was talking about, um, the seed. He was talking about the seed concept. You know that he's right. got. And anyway, he says that in John 9, I had not run across, you know, I've gone through the whole Bible three times, but 
somehow I don't remember this passage, but in he said in John nine, it says that if we being have having been born again can no longer sin for the seed of God is within us. Right, and right. I was thinking, wait a minute, you know, um, I'm regenerated, I'm saved, but yeah, you could maybe you could possibly drag me into a room full of cocaine and Mexican girls, and I wouldn't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <laughs> your your examples are just so vivid and poetic <laughs> and i just really i want to affirm you in that and tell you that i appreciate that <laughs> this guy was came up to me at this conference he goes hey you're johnny from the iron show i was like yeah he's like dude man i was like he like got saved listening to the iron show and he's like dude man oh man i remember when i was waiting tables and you're like talking started saying you said uh oh, what if but rick what if i'm in a room full of mexican girls and cocaine and i don't want to leave what how do i become a christian he goes i laughed so hard he goes i dropped my tray of water all over the customers and stuff Oh my God. I was like, yeah, that's my idea of sin. I don't know like how else to say it. You know? <laughs> I mean, it is a really thorough example of sin. I will give you that. Well, I think it is. And, uh, <laughs> yes, we all, we all run into that in our lifetime. <laughs> oh, it's, part, actually, it's, part of our, it's part of our fallen nature to just find ourselves in these situations with cocaine and Mexican hooker hookers. I know it, you know, and, uh, but, uh, actually that's never happened to me, but in my mind. So, uh, anyway, and that can be just as bad sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's that? But <laughs> when Doug Hamp said, uh, you know, he, he was, he was quoted that verse in John nine about how, um, you know, that, uh, having been born again, we will no longer be able to sin because the seed of God is in us. I was like, Eureka, there's my proof text. Right. Because, right. Cause we know we can sin. Obviously it can happen. I mean, we're not going to, we're not planning on it, but it could happen if we're safe. We can sin. I mean, right. So, um, so there was my proof text for my little theory about born again, meaning the resurrection body, because apparently according to what I understand from theology is once you're in that resurrection body, you literally will not be sinning again ever. Right. It, it kind of reminds me of sort of the, the hell doctrine and I've tried to sort of parse through hell and try to understand exactly what hell is. And, you know, the common, you know, sort of, uh, eternal fire type hell is like, Oh, you're going to hell when you die. And uh, there's different theories of like, well, not, I mean, ultimately yes, but not, you know, not immediately. It's not, I don't know. It just seems like this, we don't know, you know, there's not like this linear, we're, we're just so used to thinking linearly that, you know, one thing happens and then the next thing happens and then, you know, whatever eternity in hell or in heaven. But it seems like the, the scriptures kind of, jump all over the place and, and it's not so straightforward, but yeah, I, th I, th I don't think you're that crazy, man. I don't think that's a crazy theory. I mean, I, I'm not, I would have to look into it a little more, but it doesn't sound to me like some kind of super heretical thing. Yeah. And I'm not dogmatic on it. You know, I don't get dogmatic on these things that I kick around in my head. Uh, you know, the one, another one about hanging out, you know, cause of hanging out with Peter Goodgame. Uh, he's a good buddy of mine. 
And, uh, you know, I've come up with my own theory on the Antichrist, which is different than his. Let's hear it. He's probably right. I mean, he's Peter Goodgame. But, you know, Johnny, (laughs) he doesn't just say, what's up? He actually thinks about things. So, yeah, my theory on the Antichrist is uh, kind of really got slapped together uh, haphazardly over experiences and friendships I got. And, um, you know, the the first comes from Peter Goodgame uh, quoting all these Bible verses about the Assyrian. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of that, doing about that, that the Antichrist is also, and Matthew Miller also talked, when he talks about the Antichrist, he talks about the Assyrian. Right, right. And um, so that the Antichrist uh, 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 is known as the Assyrian in the Old Testament. You guys know about that? Yes. Okay, well, um, now uh, I was uh, doing a show that I used to have another show called Armed with Iron, which is with my, it was with my co-host Army Girl. Uh, We did that for about a year. Um, It was a live show. And um, I think we did about 20 shows. But anyway, one of my guests was a rabbi. He's a messianic rabbi. He's a Christian uh, pastor, and he's also an ordained uh, rabbi also. And uh, he's so he's a messianic uh, Jew, I guess you would say. Right. But he's a messianic rabbi. So, I mean, he like, really knows his stuff. He, he wrote a book about revelations uh, or the re- revelation called uh, When the Stars Fall. And, uh, but anyway, he was on the show Armed with Iron and he, he was saying, you know, I, you know, you know about the old, the passages in the Old Testament about the Assyrian. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, he's going like, you know, you know, it seems like the Bible is the Old Testament is saying, uh, he calls it the Torah, right? You know, right. And I mean, he's, he was saying that, you know, that it seems to be pointing to the Antichrist as being the Assyrian. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that concept, you know? And he's like, well, he goes, I think maybe the Antichrist might be an Assyrian. And I was like thinking, well, the Assyrians like died like like a million years ago. There's no such thing as an Assyrian, modern Assyrian. And he says, you know, the Assyrians are actually still exist. I was like, really? He's going, yeah, they live in uh, Iran uh, on the border, you know, with the, the Kurds. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He goes, I think maybe that maybe he'll, the Antichrist will be an Assyrian. So I was, I ran that past my atheist friend who he's like my best friend. I hate to tell you my best friend's an atheist. I mean, what? Go figure. It happens. Yeah, it happens. His name is Eniatola Kazamzada. He's a, he's Iranian and, uh, he grew up in Tehran and, uh, he uh, lived under the Shah when he was a little kid. And then when the Ayatollah took over, he lived under his reign for about 10 years. And then his dad was uh, pretty, had a, not, wasn't rich, but was fairly well off and was able to smuggle him out in the trunk of a Mercedes Benz for $17,000. But, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, any Atola, man, he was telling, we were talking about, you know, my show and stuff. And, he was talking like, well, what are you talking about? I was like, well, lately I've been talking about the uh, the Antichrist. And he's like, the Antichrist? I was going, yeah, well, then, you know, in, in, in theology, in the Bible, there's this there's this uh, arch uh, nemesis of Jesus who is the opposite of him that will come into power in the last days and the end times. In the times I think we're living in now. And anyway, and he's going, well, tell me more about it. And I, so I started, and then, I, and then I said the word Assyrian. He goes, Assyrian? 
he goes, oh, he goes, I grew up with the Syrians. He goes, they protected me when I was in school. I was like, really? He's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going, you know, and he's was, uh, he was Baha'i. You guys know what Baha'is are? Yeah, yeah I do. They're sort of like, um, they combine all the religions into one really right. half, <laughs> kind of half religion, which is kind of limp. Right. But, <laughs> it's pretty weak, but they're sort of like, the Baha'is are sort of like, you know, the guy that says to the, the Zen Buddhist hot dog vendor, make me one with everything. <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> so, anyway so, <laughs> so he was like yeah he goes like when you are a Baha'i or you're uh, a Christian or you know or like an atheist or an agnostic in Tehran under the Shah in school you get beat mercilessly by all the Muslim kids he's going it's like a nightmare he's going anyway and that would have happened because I would have been dead they would have beaten me to death except for I had two Assyrian buddies that everybody respected and protected me the whole time I was in school so he starts telling me about the Assyrians I was going like I didn't even think they really existed anymore he says oh yeah he goes yeah they live they live in they have a they have a neighborhood in uh, they have a neighborhood in, in Tehran and they have a and they have a, a like a big group of them uh, uh, um, near the Kurdish border in Iran. And he goes, yeah. Yeah. He says, the Assyrians, he goes, you have to understand, Johnny. He goes, one, and it's when you're born as an Assyrian, you're born Christian. And, you know, and, you know, to us, you know, we would say, well, you know, that's not theologically sound, you know, right. Nobody's born as a Christian, but anyway, he's going like, when you're born into a Syrian family, you, if you're, you're a Christian, and that's it's just synonymous. You, if you're an Assyrian, you're a Christian. And to everybody else, all the Muslims and everybody else in Iran, if you're a Syrian, you're a Christian. And not only are you a Christian, but you are an Orthodox Christian. And not only are you an Orthodox Christian, but if you like were an Assyrian and by some strange fluke, which never happens, you decided to decide to become a Muslim or to become a Hindu or to become whatever, a Baha'i, then what would happen is your family would completely disown you. You would no longer be an Assyrian anymore because your family would wipe all records of you out. Not only that, but your life would be in danger from them. They may kill you in order to keep you from not be from leaving the Christian faith, which is very interesting. I've never heard of a group of Christians like killing you if you leave, like the mafia. Right. Right. <laughs> But anyway, um, he's saying, but what really got me, this is like, this is kind of a long way, but what really got me was he's he's like, well, what happens is, is that I was like, well, don't the Assyrians, are they persecuted? They're Christians living in Iran and the Ayatollah. He's like, oh no. He goes, oh no, all Muslims respect Assyrians. Hmm. They're Christians. He goes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're an Assyrian, you're respected by all Muslims. Huh. I was like, really? Like accepted? Oh, yeah, you're accepted, 100%. In fact, uh, according to Muslim law, Sharia law, alcohol is illegal. But in the Assyrian communities, it's, it's legal. They don't, they don't mess with them. They don't know Sharia law applies in the Assyrian community. Wow. I would fight with each other? Oh, no. Oh, no, because the Assyrians are the original Iranians. They're the ones that are related to Ashuri. I said, Ashuri, you mean Asher? He's like, yeah, yeah, well, we call him Ashuri. Wow. Said, Asher, I go, that's Nimrod. He's like, yeah, yeah, Nimrod, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my goodness. Well, here, here's what's interesting. I, I was just doing, you know, I'm pulling up a little thing on the Assyrians and uh, this little thing that talks about the diaspora of the Assyrians. And it says a total of 550,000 Assyrians live in Europe and uh, large Assyrian, Chaldean, Syriac, Syriac diaspora communities can be found in Germany, Sweden, and the U.S. and Australia. And the largest diaspora communities are those of, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Sodar, so, so, I don't know, Sodatarche or something, Chicago and Detroit, ironically. Yes. And, uh, and the second largest in America is in California, man, West Coast, buddy. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's our stomping grounds. It is. It's a little north of you, between San Francisco and L.A., but yeah. I haven't seen any Assyrians. There is a 50,000 number strong Assyrian group in Central California, yes. Mm, I think Ooh. I've heard that before. I can't say the name of the town, but they own it. Hmm. Oh, man. I wish Annie Atola was here. He could tell me right off the bat. But uh Yeah. Yes, the Antichrist comes from California. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Yeah, I think we're all expecting something like that, at least. <laughs> we all have first Californication or Raiders in the Bible there. Oh, no, that's Corinthians. I'm sorry. <laughs> first Californians. San Joaquin Valley? Perhaps I I can't tell I can't tell you the name of the city though. That's I like mean, San Jose or something. Yeah, it's like San Jose. Oh, it's, a, it's a little town that yeah, I would know it if you said it, but I can't. It's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, anyway. So the thing, and okay, this became part of my theory. I was like, okay, wow, okay, yeah, the Antichrist. He's probably going to be an Assyrian. I was like, well, okay, there's a number of things that would have to happen. So anyway, um, as an Assyrian, they're Orthodox. Now, orth- the Orthodox Church is accepted by the Catholic Church. Right. And the uh, Assyrians are accepted by the entire Muslim world. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this would be the basis of somebody in the center that everybody accepted Christians in the West accept the Orthodox, the Catholics accept the Orthodox, and the Muslims accept the Assyrian Orthodox. So if an Assyrian came into power, he would be the only one that could unite all the religions. Mm. Wow. Yes. Wow. They are the only ones that all three major groups of religions accept. And he's related to Nimrod. And he's related to Nimrod. Bingo. (laughs) Another another thing that's really weird. Now this isn't this is just kind of a, an aside to the major theory which I just gave you. Uh, but uh, an Assyrian is uh, there. And Anatola told me that they're extremely talented at language. And when you are talking to an Assyrian in Farsi, they have their own uh, dialect. But when they're speaking Farsi, which is the Iranian, you know, Muslim dialect, you can't tell that you're talking to an Assyrian because they are so good at um, imitating the, all the little accents and they're so good at getting all the little words right. You cannot tell you're talking to a Syrian. You think you're talking to like another Muslim Farsi speaking person. Not only that, but it, not only that, but it extends boundaries past that. If you're in France and you're talking to an Assyrian, you do not know you're talking to a Syrian. You think you're talking to a Frenchman. They are so good and have so much pride at uh, languages. 
And most Assyrians speak like 20 languages. And not only that, but they speak them fluently. Not only that, they speak them with their right dialect. And not only that, but they speak them with perfect uh, inflections and, and accents. And I was just thinking, you know, the, you know um, at the Tower of Babel, you know, Assyria was the land of Nimrod. And that, that core group must have, they must have needed, when, the, when the, there was the division of the languages, the Assyrians especially must have had to be very good at, lingu- at linguistics right. uh, in an effort to try to, to try to maybe reunite, try to hold some of that together that was flying apart when God divided the languages. Wow. And uh, maybe that's something that's been passed down until current day to where they're, they're lingu- ling- linguistic experts, all of them. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's pretty heavy. That's um, see, I never knew any of that actually. actually. Me neither. <laughs> I mean, huh. before I hung out, I was as amazed as any Atola. He'd never told me much about his homeland, and man, I was just like, and all these wheels are clicking as he's telling me everything about the Assyrians. Not only that, but they're very uh, talented. Um, uh, they're very charismatic. If you're an Assyrian, you most likely you're famous or in, in a public group, you're the life of the party or you're one person who is the leader of a company, you know, but there's very few Assyrians, according to Eniatola, back in Iran that are not big people because they have the, they're all very charismatic and they have a, they have a lot of pride in, in being charismatic and attracting people to them. So that fits the Antichrist, you know, thing. He's obviously going to be extremely charismatic. Right. I'm looking at the Assyrian flag and it's got, it's got this, uh, you know, four pronged star type thing. And it's got these sort of wiggly red, white, and blue uh, stripes coming off of it. But on top of it, there is a picture of, I, I guess it's Nimrod. I mean, it has to be Nimrod or oh. someone that looks like somebody from, you know, ancient past. He's got the beard and everything. And he's sort of uh, to the side and he's got like, it looks like the Phoenix wings kind of behind him and then the feathers below him. And I don't know, man, <laughs> it looks pretty intense. Right. Yeah. No, that's definitely Nimrod there. Yeah. With the Phoenix behind him doing something. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, I was I was uh did did a little research into um the Assyrians. I wanted to get one on my show. I wanted to get one on the Iron Show, you know, and drill him. <laughs> Do you know the Antichrist? <laughs> Have you ever spoken with him? <laughs> what are your plans? What are your plans? What are your plans for world domination? But uh <laughs> what's up? But uh um, anyway, in, in the course of my research, I had um, unearthed this uh, plan of the the new Persian Empire. They want to reunite uh, all the diaspora of the Persian people into a secular a secular empire. They want to take it back from the Muslims. They want to take the whole Middle East and further. I mean, the Persians go way out there. 
uh, as far as geographically. They want to take that all back from the Muslims. And there's this underground of the new United Persian Empire that's forming. Um, it's hard to find info on it, but I asked, uh, I took it to Anatoly, you know, I said, hey, what do you know about the... Uh, what do you know about the underground uh, Persian empires? How did you know about this? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, whoa. <laughs> whoa, easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, if he's going, oh, yeah, we're taking it back. He goes like, we're taking it back from the Muslims. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, that, like, it kind of makes sense, too, because Israel being sort of the... Uh, you know, the land that God kind of works with and the diaspora, I guess, you know, at least of the Jews and then the return of the nation of Israel, it would only make sense that there is some sort of uh, mirror of that for the Antichrist. Oh yeah, totally. Oh yeah, totally. Now that all is just, I, I, I just, I kind of have sort of abandoned that whole theory just because I sort of like Peter good games where they dig him up really. And he comes back to life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder about that too, because you know, the antichrist, you know, the world marvels at right. the antichrist. So it, it may be something incredibly Peter good games, probably the one who was right. You know, I mean it, um, I don't know, but, at the same time, he could proclaim to be an Assyrian. I mean, that may be how he gets this, you know. It could be Nimrod coming back to life, just like Peter Goodgame says. And it probably is going to be that way. And then uh, he claims to be an Assyrian, you know. He claims to be an Orthodox Assyrian. Claims to be a Christian. Now, a lot of people, it's very unpopular when I say this, but I will tell you straight out, the Antichrist is a Christian. Oh, yeah. I'm not against that or surprised by that at all. I think that's part of the whole apostasy the falling away yeah yeah oh yeah he's a watered down christian but man i mean anybody will tell you when they see him when he's on the scene he's a christian you know? right you know i mean you will think his he will be synonymous with christian he will represent christianity even though to us you know on the out you know on the on the inner in the inner no uh i hate to think of johnny as one of the elect but <laughs> <laughs> even to the elect like you and i and everybody listening we will know that he's no christian but i mean to the rest of the world man he's gonna be a christian Right. Well, you know, I was going back to just the point of Peter Goodgame saying that it's it's going to be a literal resurrection of Nimrod. Interestingly, you know, Doug Hamp thinks that somebody is going to, you know, interject. He calls it Satan's DNA, but I'm I'm thinking maybe you know because they're looking they they've found quote unquote Gilgamesh's tomb and Osiris's tomb and stuff like that. What if? it's kind of like in between where they sort of resurrect, you know, there's a resurrection, but it's actually like, no, we actually got the DNA reformed. You know, that this guy, this is an ancient person's DNA, but it's here he is, you know, we've cloned him or whatever. I, I don't know. Something, I don't know. We, I guess we won't, we'll never know until it happens, but at the same time, I think it's good to talk about it's, all the potential angles, explore the possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, explore the possibilities because, I mean, you know, when this thing goes down, everybody listening to this Canary Cry Radio back in history will have heard it and will, you know, be forearmed because they're going to know what to look for. I mean, 
that's that's why it's important to talk about this stuff. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what we always say here. Yeah, totally. Um, I have a couple of questions for you guys. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Number one, Basil. Yo. Why did you name yourself after a pizza spice? <laughs> 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 oh, and my wife wants to know why isn't it basil? Well, basil, yeah, and basil are the same thing, but basil is sort of the European pronunciation of the uh, the name basil. basil. Ah, a male, a male version. It's very nice. Yes, I, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it uh, speaks to my character as a as a nice uh, herb to, to place on margarita pizza, as oh, well, well as, as, as well as, well as, as other tomato sauces and, and things, things like, that. like that. My question to Ghani: um, You're Japanese, right? Yes. Does it bother you that they measure every big thing with the force of so many Hiroshima bombs? A cracker door exploded with a with a force of twenty thousand Hiroshima bombs. <laughs> <laughs> that Quiet. would bother me. That Johnny. would bother me if I was Japanese. He's very sensitive, and that <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> brought, that, brought that up. <laughs> Does that bother you? No, not really. I mean, okay. Here's the deal. There's. He there's, likes it a lot, actually. I think it's hysterical. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a little disconnect with, um, you know, my home nation, I guess you can call it, because, you know, I was born in America. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm American because I'm born in America. I've been to Japan a few times and stuff. Um, there's there's a. There's definitely a void of like, okay, I don't really know my family history. I don't know, you know, I know that my mother's side comes from um, a samurai family. Uh, we we bear okay. kind of the uh, the uh, what's the thing called the family emblem of a samurai tribe. So I know that much, but you know, I have no idea who they are or what what happened or anything. And then, you know, I don't think I had specifically relatives that were, you know, uh, taken out by the bombs or anything like that. So, uh, you know, and it's kind of, it's weird. It's a weird thing because... They were, they were off roaming the Japanese countryside <laughs> as samurais. Uh, yeah, yeah, at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> Sharpening their swords. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it's, you know, one of the things that I do want to do sometime in life is uh, actually address some of the spiritual issues in Japan because it's, it, Japan's kind of a dark place. It's, it's really like, uh, it, it's very materialistic. It's very like work oriented. Um, Number one suicide rate in yeah, the world. Yeah. They're just, you know, really? totally work to the ground to the, and uh, a lot of their anime and cartoons and imagery and stuff like that. It's always like demons and ghosts and, you know, these supernatural creatures they are really into the supernatural, but they're, I think spiritually they're sort of misplaced. And so, uh, yeah, there's, there's a part of me that wants to go that direction, but it, it's going to be tough, man. Cause it's sort of a big subject, you know, I'm kind of trying to tackle a nation here. So, uh, it'll happen maybe sometime in the future, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm not offended, Johnny, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I'm offended by that. It bothers me. It's like, man, why do you have to dig up that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, couldn't you like you know? Couldn't you just say atomic bombs? I mean, every time you know you watch the History Channel, twenty thousand Hiroshima bombs. Like, <laughs> and what about the dudes in Nagasaki? They're like, dude, I got like my grandpa has like three legs. And what about Nagasaki? You don't even mention them. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, them? <laughs> you know, there's a there's a local. Uh, it's actually, I think nationwide, but there's a Japanese channel here that my wife likes to watch whenever there's, you know, captions and stuff, but, um, they, they've been putting out these, uh, movie DVD series of interviewing world war two veterans, um, that fought for America, but were Japanese and man, every time they show it, it's like, Oh dude, I gotta sit there and watch this, this commercial again. Cause it's heavy. You know, they're sitting there talking about these old guys talking about like, why should I have to go attack my own country? And, and other guys talking about, you know, I'm defending my nation. It's just heavy, heavy stuff. And, uh, so yeah, there's, there's, I know that, you know, there's a history there and stuff, but I'm, again, there's a little bit of a disconnect because I was born in America, not just America. I was born in Southern California. So, you know, it's kind of like, Hey, surf's up, you know? So yeah, yeah. In Oregon, we are the Oregon is the only country that or actually the only uh, Oregon was the only state that it was ever attacked in World War Two. We were bombed at Battery Russell. We were shelled. Now, wow. we bombed inch. And they also dropped um, the Japanese and dropped incendiary bombs in the forests of Oregon, hoping to just set all these forest fires and smoke us out. But uh, <laughs> they. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, and we just had this in Portland. We had this big reunion of these Japanese soldiers that bombed uh, the Oregon coast and the incendiary uh, pi- bomb pilots. They got together with World War II vets, uh, American World War II vets, and came together and buried the sword, you know, and you know, <laughs> uh, hugged each other. And I thought, man, that's great, you know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That it's just you know in the. You know, Japan came to our to. They were the one of the first ones after nine eleven that uh, you know came to our support. You know, and uh, it's it's so weird because they have their their sort of temperament. They they have a really really good honor system. You know, they're very serious about honor and and just uh, you know being good people and being good to each other. Uh, it's it's just very strange to me because, you know, you heard about, I was hearing stories after the tsunami and, and the whole thing that happened last year about, um, you know, people finding, you know, tons of cash and wallets and stuff like that. And they're giving it back to the authorities or trying to find the people that it belongs to and stuff. And I'm like, man, if that happened in America, I mean, oh, I mean dude, <laughs> <laughs> although I will say I've had my wallet returned to me about three or four times in the last two years. So, yeah, that's thank God we still got some of that in America. But yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, I mean, Muslim wallets, their history, they're just like cash is ripped out, everything else is thrown to, into the wind, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's when they see the ID and they're like, oh crap, this is just Johnny Irons. We're busted, dude. I'm giving this back. I'm scared. Yeah, Peter Goodgame on one of those shows goes, you know, Johnny, you know, you're not really intimidating. I'm like, yeah, thanks, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So, again, Johnny Iron, the, the legendary one and only Johnny Iron from The Iron Show. Thank you so much for coming on Canary Cry Radio. It was a lot of fun, fun for, for sure. sure. 
All right, man. It's been real. I hope to hang out with you guys again, man. For sure. Definitely. And we'll have to make our own appearance over there and uh, spread the Canary Cry love. Open invitation. All right. On the bird. I love the bird. <laughs> Johnny loves the bird. I'm going to put it on my tombstone. Johnny loves the bird. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in again. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Thanks for tuning in again this week for Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to check back soon for more. And as always, think outside the cage. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. The show notes for this episode and many others are available at canarycryradio.com. Make sure to connect and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash canarycryradio. Follow us on Twitter at canarycryradio. If you would like to share the show in video format, you can find us on YouTube by searching Canary Cry Radio. Review us on iTunes with five stars and give us a thumbs up on stumbleupon.com. We would like to thank those of you who have given us your support, prayers, and donations. If you would like to join us and support Canary Cry Radio financially, you could do so by visiting canarycryradio.com and clicking the support tab. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember to think outside the cage.